Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Morning, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. I'm Isabel Hawthorne. And I'm Maya Stewart. Our regular co-host Katie Winton is away, but I'll be attempting to fill her shoes today. Coming up on the show, we'll be taking a close look at political correctness in Australia and whether banning controversial speakers such as Milo Yiannopoulos is a good thing or a bad thing. Also coming up, we'll be bringing you the week's news from a feminist perspective and in our regular segment, Go Home, Everything is Terrible, including the latest Kardashian news, updates from our national politicians and a new 45-foot sculpture of a nude woman on the grounds of the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Is it feminism? We'll let you find out. We'll also be exploring the topic of male feminists in our new segment, Thoughts That Count, at 11.30, where we want to hear your thoughts on whether men should call themselves feminist. What do you think? Text us on 0409-945-945. We'll be hearing your thoughts very shortly. We'll also be chatting with Kaylee Weeson, um, who's the associate producer from the upcoming Australian short film Beverly, which tells the story of a 13-year-old boy named Sam who falls in love with his best friend's mother. A huge show on agenda today. Right now, though, this is Sydney duo Mezco with their new single, Steady On. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio.
listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and we're bringing the news from the week. Uh, the first of which is that Milo Yiannopoulos is coming to Australia. So you might remember Milo from the alt-right. You might remember him as the alt-right agitator um, from such catchphrases as "Feminism is cancer," "Fat people should be deported," and singing the uh, singing the song "America the Beautiful," uh, whilst while white nationalists gave the Nazi salute. So he's a real piece of work. Um, and he also, it's just kind of lame, like he, his attempts to offend don't really seem that concerning because they are so kind of pathetic, but he's been extraordinarily successful in defining and mobilising a new kind of culture um, of hate in the alt-right. Um, and while this new group over the last few years has been kind of galvanising, not necessarily around him, but definitely adjacent to him, um, um, it's they're not necessarily saying anything new, but the way that they're operating is definitely uh, new. And Yiannopoulos made his na- a name for himself during Gamergate. So if you might have remembered three or four years ago, um, Gamergate was a movement ostensibly about um, concerns with ethics in game journalism um, and protecting gamer identity. So Gamergate actually began um, in August of 2013 as a pernicious attack on a female game developer called Zoe Quinn who is now extraordinarily famous because of not necessarily because of her journalism but because of like how awfully things played out within Gamergate Um, but basically Quinn had become the victim of death threats and harassment since she began trying to publish Depression Quest which was a text-based game partially based on her own experiences with depression so she was doxxed which means that um, people publicly um published her private um, private information and identity. Um, and so doxing is kind of like publishing basically where someone lives. So she got death threats to her house. People said, like, as you can imagine, these, like, internet trolls kind of, like, came for her. It was really horrible. And Miley Yiannopoulos was at the centre of that um, and, and became, because of it, became the tech editor for Breitbart. But in the last few days, BuzzFeed has just come out with a hugely damning story that shows how closely Breitbart worked with neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and alt-writers incorporated their ideas onto the site's content. The bombshell highlighted how former tech editor Milo Yiannopoulos recruited the help of white nationalists to put together Breitbart's big March 2016 feature on the alt-right, called An Establishment Conservative's Guide to the Alt-Right. The weird thing about him is, though, that he, last week, or maybe the week before, he had this um, uh, kind of free speech rally that he was running with, like, Ann Coulter and a bunch of other, like, seriously awful people um, at Berkeley, which was one of the, um, it's a really important site for free speech in America's civil rights movement. Um, And so a lot of these kind of things, they don't necessarily end up taking place. He, He kind of claimed that he was it was censored and that um Berkeley shut it down because they're afraid of free speech and like liberals are these like snowflakes that can't handle hearing things um uh can't handle hearing uh you know anything critical about them and so it's interesting I'm, I'm really interested to hear whether um whether what when he comes to Australia, if anyone will even if it'll end up taking place, or it'll just be this huge media frenzy, and the, it'll give a lot of shock jocks the opportunity to kind of claim that free um, free speech is under threat. And obviously, we have different laws about free speech in Australia to America. Um, but yeah, I'm interested in 
in what will happen. But also, I don't want him to come to Australia. He's a terrible person. Mm. But in huge news, um, a great person is coming to Australia, and that is Mariah Carey. Um, she's coming to perform in February 2018, and I think I can safely say we'll all be there. We certainly will. And I'm far more excited to hear what Mariah Carey has to say about free speech than I do about Milo Yiannopoulos. <laughs> Last week we talked about Hugh Hefner's legacy um, within the context of the sexual revolution women's liber- and women's liberation. And in the immediate aftermath, I felt like a lot of the reporting kind of conceptualised his death along the lines of conservatives and feminists were critical of his methods and sceptical of his motivations and people that like like sex and were sex po- positive um, thought that he was a cool dude. Um, which he obviously wasn't. And we kind of went through, we dragged him pretty hard last week and went through some of the more unsavory aspects of um, Playboy's legacy and the kind of protection that it um, offered to sexual predators and the kind of very questionable, um, I don't know, art direction that went into some Mm. of their stuff in the 80s. Um, But in the following days, more interesting news has kind of come to light. Uh, I thought one of the coolest stories that I heard was about um, Germany's own version of Hugh Hefner, who hugely transformed the way that Germans thought and understood sex. So Hugh Hefner only really liberated the way that heterosexual men thought about sex. But um, a woman called Beta Usa, a former was a former pilot. Um, she totally changed the way that German people thought about sex and about gender roles as well. So after the war, she was living in um, East Germany um, during a very like particularly hard time for East Germans, um, and she penned a penned a book about the rhythm method which is uh, avoiding sex during a woman's most fertile days it's not 100% but it you know it was really important for um as a contraceptive method during those times when uh the contraceptive pill wasn't available and other methods weren't available obviously um reproductive freedom I don't think the rhythm method offers reproductive freedom but it certainly does um afford more freedom uh, so unlike Playboy, she started a kind of mail order business selling all manner of goods. So like condoms, sex aids, self-help books, erotic literature, aphrodisiacs, lingerie, gag items, and also obviously lots of photos of sexy ladies. Um, but she was really interested in this idea of ending sexual misery, which just sounds super hectic, but like obviously very important during those very dark times. Um, So Playboy kind of encouraged unrestrained male pleasure, the type that didn't really require financial or emotional obligations on the part of uh, men. And that was really um, obviously very important for men's sexual liberation. But what Usa kind of did was encourage good sex for, um, for all genders as a necessary part of a committed and loving relationship with special attention to women's desires. So she kind of very gently encouraged men to think about how they could um, uh, help their partner, you know, sexually. And really kind of started a conversation about women's pleasure because that that wasn't really something that was considered at that time. Men knew that, within popular culture, men knew that they could reach climax, but women, it wasn't kind of thought of as something that women could do. They were the recipient in a, in a way, I guess. Yeah, her, her empire was and is a lot more focused on sexual health and pleasure rather than male fulfilment, but it still, I guess, has a pretty fundamentally heterosexual focus and from a male perspective as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. And definitely in terms of like 
the she she kind of sent out all of these different like sex aids and condoms and things like that but a lot of the kind of erotica was definitely focused at, on a kind of male heterosexual mm. audience but her um she to and she isn't without fault she literally flew Luftwaffe's during World War Two. but I thought it was significant given the kind of collective amnesia following Hefner's death so to look at people who were I thought it was interesting to look at people who were kind of challenging sexual norms in a meaningful way at that point um because he's given so much credit um but yeah I also just thought it was like really intense that her kind of focus was on ending sexual mem- um sexual misery Mm. um which is pretty hectic yeah and so important too um (laughs) we'll take a listen now to atlanta artist abra with her track big boy you're tuned into agenda on fbi radio stick around for more news from from a feminist perspective coming right up cool so you're a big boy but i'm saying just because you're big Now, in our segment, Go Home, Everything is Terrible. 
Yes, starting with some local news, Tony Abbott has told radio host Rory Hadley that the NRL grand final could have done away with um, an American performer and basically he was saying that Macklemore's performance um, of pro-equality track Same Love um, and he could have ins- they could have instead chosen someone who was, quote, A, Australian and B, not to be... Not to be um, not to kind of talk about such contentious issues. Um, and so he went on to say that he was a big fan of Savage Garden. Yeah, not sure how big of a fan he is, considering Darren Hayes is a very vocal advocate for marriage equality and has rightly publicly bemoaned the fact that many years ago he and his partner had to marry in England because of restrictive Australian marriage laws. Yeah, not to mention that Affirmation, which is arguably Savage Garden's best song, is a, like literally about queer love and acceptance. Yeah, not sure about best song. Um, <laughs> I think To the Moon is to, to the Moon and Back is a pretty strong contender, but yeah, it's a great song. In other news from our nation's very odd politicians, uh, the leader of the Christian Democratic Party, Fred Nile, has warned Australians that gay people may may start handing out separate citizenships and adopting rapper Macklemore's song Same Love as their national anthem. Uh, I think the gay nation might have a better song than Same Love, but it's an amazing idea, so thank you, Fred Nile, for that mental image. Yeah, it's really incredible. If you have any suggestions for Fred Nile's new nation um, and national anthem, text us 0409-945-945. Maybe it's Bill Shorten's Inter Club. It's obviously not, and definitely don't Google that. It's kind of like (laughs) watching... um, Hillary Clinton whip a nene on Ellen. I never actually saw that. It's, it's really bad. It's like very, very painful to watch. It's kind of like watching Bill Shorten rap on Fitzy and Wiffer. Well, Clinton is back in the news um, on Wednesday on Jimmy Fallon's uh, female identifying writers recognised the former Secretary of State for her contributions to healthcare and the impact it had on their own lives. The final surprise thank you came from Miley Cyrus. Yeah, so she came on and thanked uh, Hillary Clinton. And Katie, in her absence, has asked us to play the clip of Miley, <clears throat> pardon me, breaking down in front of Hillary, um, which we, uh, Mari and myself, have politely declined. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> Sorry about that. In international news, a university in Mexico has announced a feminism conference featuring 11 men and just one woman. Interesting. The National Autonomous University of Mexico posted pink publicity flyers um, advertising the lineup for a feminism conference, and it didn't take long before people um, noticed the unusual lineup. Oh, not particularly unusual. I think this happens like quite a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but it was held on Mexico City campus. The conference featured a panel, a discussion, um, as Mari said, of 11 participants, uh, almost all of whom were male. Yeah, sadly, that's um, a pretty common occurrence. Mm. Um In New Zealand, an LGBT plus youth organisation has produced a new video aimed at calling people out for being casually homophobic, drawing attention to the way the word gay is often misused. As they say in the ad, a pie falling on the ground is deeply disappointing, but it's not gay. Yeah, so um, a pie kind of falls on the ground. Yeah, exactly like you said, and it's it's a really sweet ad. Yeah. I was wondering if we should play it, but you should definitely go and Google it. It's lovely. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, in Kardashian news, Kendall Jenner is really, really sad that everyone got offended at her Pepsi ad. Um, so speaking of the Kardashian, she said, I felt really, really bad. I feel really bad that anyone was ever offended. I feel really bad that this was taken, this was taken such a wrong way, and I genuinely feel like shit. 
I have no idea how I'm going to bounce back from this. And we really like feel for you, Kendall. Um, oh, I wonder if she feels really, really bad. I wonder. It seems like she might. But it's definitely in this kind of vein of, um, you know, apologizing for people being offended rather than mm. recognizing like how deeply, particularly because the Kardashians um, borrow so heavily from African-American culture and they are... Um, called out for the way that they don't acknowledge the oppression of African-American people and people of colour in general in America. And so this was like an opportunity for her to kind of come good on it. And she's like, why are you guys all offended that I don't, you know, that I trivialise Black mm. Lives Matter, but I also wear like, you know, braid my hair. And mm. yeah. It's and like, also just borrowing from other people's art, like with yeah. their T-shirts and merch that came mm. out recently. Yeah. Um, but in good news, Getty Images have banned photos of digitally slimmed models. The stock photo agency has reportedly emailed contributors asking, quote-unquote, that you do not submit to us any creative content depicting models whose body shapes have been retouched to make them look thinner or larger. Yeah, so it seems pretty in line with the general shift towards body positivity in the media, but the timing is also significant, not just because Paris Fashion Week has just kicked off, on October 1st, a French, uh, a new French law goes into effect that, um, well, I guess it's already gone into effect, that requires publications to include the words photographie retouchée, um, or retouch, I'm really sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, which means retouch images. Uh, the penalty for failing to do so is a fine of up to $44,000. The law is aimed at combating eating disorders among the nation's youth, applies to print, online posters, campaigns, and catalogues. It's like... I don't know, maybe we should talk about this in another week. It's a pretty drastic and very French kind of law. I feel like they go kind of bulletigate with these kind of um, laws. Mm. And it's, uh, I, I don't know how effective it will be in like actually changing, um, changing the way that people kind of think about body image. But yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, definitely something to explore in another future Agenda episode. Mm-hmm. Also in good and vaguely French news, Philip Picardi of Teen Vogue, because of course it came from Teen Vogue, (laughs) has announced today via his Twitter that he will be spearheading a new LGBTQ-focused publication titled Them for Condé Nast. Instead of following a 24-7 news cycle, the publication will instead focus on community participation and extremely impactful storytelling at its core. Sounds pretty promising. In his words, they just want to make sure that they're inviting people to participate. Um, Intersectionality and representation are going to be a very crucial part of the brand's very success and acceptance. Yeah, he's a really, um, really good writer and I'm really excited to see um, how that comes out. Um, A United Nations resolution, this is, sorry, disclaimer, this is bad news, Um, but a United Nations resolution banning the death penalty for homosexuality has thankfully passed this week, but not without opposition by a total of 13 countries um, in the UN Human Rights Council, while several um, were in Africa and the Middle East. um, So several were in um, Africa and the Middle East, but surprisingly, or maybe not so surprisingly, Um, the U.S. voted against the measure. So just to be clear, the U.S. voted against banning the death penalty for homosexuality. It is like, uh, it's unbelievable. It's really, really awful. Mm. Pretty disappointing. But thankfully, the resolution passed on Friday anyway, with 27 countries voting for the measure. 
And we know you've all been holding out for this huge piece of news, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Over in America... Huge. Sorry, I just <laughs> had to do my, like, Bernie Sanders Trump huge. Uh, artist Marco Cochrane will erect a 45-foot-tall sculpture of a nude woman that will stand on the grounds of the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Created to encourage female empowerment and self-acceptance, the monumental statues are modelled on artist Dejas Solis, and each take on a different pose. Their nudity is intended to challenge people to see past women's bodies as sexualized. At the heart of Cochrane's project is the question, what would the world be like if women were safe? Hmm. Um, the message of women's safety may be lost on some when confronted with a giant sculpture of an idealised female figure bearing it all. But Cochrane says... Yes, I consider myself a feminist. The sculptures I've been doing for the past 25 years are intended to call attention to the need for ending violence against women and to make room for women's voices. We really need to take a look at how the objectification of women, the focus on the physical form, this dehumanisation, is hurting us all. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that they've chosen a male artist to draw attention to the oppression of women and that he used an idealised and highly sexualised form to talk about dehumanising women mm. in the first place. I mean, I don't think that men can't make work that um, talks about dehumanisation of women, but I thought that it was interesting, yeah, basically that he'd chosen mm. to do this, like, woman with, like, massive boobs and, like, she's very slim. And yeah, especially when you're talking about giving away to women's voices. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's very kind of, like, I don't know. I feel like... He likes making sculptures of nude ladies. And then afterwards he was like, oh, also this is about feminism and depression. Last week we listened to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau imploring all men to be feminists. And we asked you how this sat with you in light of the fact that he apparently decided to be a feminist after he heard that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was. Yeah, that seems like that was a little bit disappointing. I was also like kind of just waiting for that to come out as well. Like I was like, when it happened, it was kind of like, yeah, there's going to be a follow up story Mm. that was like, he just woke up one one morning and was like, yeah, this is cool now. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Everyone needs to do it. Anyway, after this track, we'll be playing some of the answers um, to your um, your answers to this question in our new segment, Thoughts That Count. So if you want to throw your hat in the ring, send us your text on 0409 945 945. So we're asking whether men can be feminists and um, whether they should identify as feminists. Let us know, 0409-945-945. Right now, though, this is eBay with No Man Is Big Enough For My Arms. Very the f- fitting. <laughs> <laughs> the French-Cuban twin sisters um, have just put out their second album, Ash, which tackles ge- is- issues of gender equality and their experiences as women of colour. And the track we're about to hear samples none other than Michelle Obama, who said last year on the campaign trail for Hillary Clinton that the measure of any society is how it treats its women and girls. And that was in response to Donald Trump bragging about sexually assaulting women in the Access Hollywood tape and his lack of remorse afterwards. So we'll take a listen to that track now. Stick around for our Thoughts That Count segment coming up next. This is Ibei with No Man Is Big Enough For My Arms and you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. of 
any society is how it treats its women and girls. smart, powerful, creative, accomplished young women. We can fight. I'm here because of you. I'm here because girls no like you inspire me. No man, no man for Many of these girls have faced unthinkable obstacles just to no attend man. school. of any society is how it treats its women and girls. One stand still. Your story is my story. Your story is my story. Won't be shamed. Your story is my story. Your story is my story. story. listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, um, and this is our brand new segment, Thoughts That Count, where we want to hear from you what you think about feminist issues. Today we're asking the question, should men call themselves feminist? Text in on 0409 945 945. Are you a male feminist or an ally? And what does it mean when a male feminist behaves in a problematic way, or even if they're just not actively challenging the patriarchy? and recognising their own privilege. There's a pretty great sketch about this on Portlandia where Fred Armisen's character leads an all-male feminist group where they basically brag about solving feminism by asking women on the street if they're doctors or claiming not to see hair colour. (laughs) I think we all know someone like that. And last week we spoke about the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau calling for men to be, all men to be feminists. At the recent Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Goalkeeper Conference in New York, Trudeau spoke about how he came to call himself feminist, saying that he was influenced by uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt identifying as a feminist because, you know, women have been claiming that, you know, equality of the genders is important for generations and Mm -hmm. you really do need someone from, like, Third Rock from the Sun to (laughs) make it clear. (laughs) Um, We've been hearing from you guys all week on our Facebook page and on the text line on 0409. 945945. James from Manly says, My dad is a massive feminist, donates money to the feminist cause, and is all for women's rights. He realizes that many of the world's problems stem from men making macho and discriminative acts. He thinks that way, and so do I as a male. I don't see an issue with being a male feminist. Cool. 
Your dad sounds like a nice dude. Mm. Um, you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. This is our segment, Thoughts That Counts. We've been asking, can men be feminists? This is Pete from Balmain, and he has some very interesting thoughts on the matter. Of course, men can be feminists. But what is the meaning of feminist? What is it? Is it when the women want equal rights, justice for all, or when they think they are the most important things in the world? Is that what it is? I think it's natural. I support the women fighting for their rights and a fair go and justice, and that if a man and a woman are going for a job and have the same qualifications, you should be given the same pay. But sometimes women take this thing a bit too far. Let's come to the level of fairness, equality, kindness, and love. And I think it becomes a bit more um, appealing to everyone. But I think men can be feminist. Men, actually, if we support women fighting for their rights or what they want, I mean, it's, it's, it's fair, it's good. We also heard from Aryan from Rushcutters Bay on the topic of male feminists. This is what he had to say. No, I don't think men can be feminists. I think men can be allies to feminism and feminists, but I think it's too easy to, for men to say that they're feminists and be complacent about feminism when they're living in a society geared to benefit them. There you go. Um, on our text line, Di says, what if you are a man with a predominantly feminine essence? Um, he is a self-identified white male. Um, and an anonymous texter said, surely it doesn't matter when or how a person comes to the realisation. Yeah, that's definitely true. But I guess the bigger question is, what does one do with that realisation? Should you be actively fighting for a cause or is it enough to simply recognise your own privilege? And of course, that extends to white privilege, straight and cis privilege, able-bodied able privilege and so on. Um, Courtney Sanders, the editor of uh, Catalogue magazine and co-founder of uh, co-founder and director of Well-Made Clothes, um, spoke a bit about this in this message that she sent to us. Hi, I'm Courtney. I'm the editorial director of Catalogue and the co-founder of Well-Made Clothes. And the wonderful Katie asked me to answer the question, can men be feminists? I think men can absolutely be feminists, but I think in order to self-identify as a feminist, as they would any other political ideology or any other group in society, they need to understand exactly what feminism means. Because feminism is about gender equality, sure, but in order to achieve gender equality, men will have to sacrifice some of their power, their privilege, and their societal status. And they will do that by actively promoting women in all aspects of their lives. And I'm not sure that a lot of the men who currently self-describe as feminists understand that those two things are necessary parts of the feminist movement. So yes, I think men can be feminists, but they need to 
be actively and constantly checking their privilege to make sure they are not unconsciously being sexist and avoid that behaviour. They need to understand that in order for gender equality to be achieved, they will have to cede some of their political and social power. And in order for both of those things to be achieved, they need to be acting by actively promoting women in all aspects of their lives, whether that's by letting women speak instead of speaking for women, whether that's actively promoting women over men in professional circumstances. Whatever it is, they need to be acting to ensure that women are achieving gender equality. And I think if they are doing all of those things, they can call themselves feminists. But if they're not, they absolutely can't. Thoughts that count. Agenda on FBI Radio. Thanks to everyone who contributed to the conversation with our Thoughts That Counts um, segment. And thanks for all your texts and messages as well. They were really amazing. Um, so <clears throat> we're continuing our segment Thoughts That Counts next week, focusing on an article that was published um, in Junkie uh, last month called Alex Cameron, Kieran J. Callahan, Callanan, Callanan? Callanan. Callanan. And the problem with ironic toxic masculinity. Um, in the article, um, the, they talk about the question of artistic immunity when it comes to celebrated Australian artists such as Alex Cameron and client liaison Kieran J. Callanan, um, who all, in, in their words, indulged the draw of 80s and 90s Australian rock while acknowledging the sexist, homophobic um, and racist roots of masculine, masculinity worship culture. Yeah, if you haven't read the article, check it out. It's up on Junkie and there's a particularly thought-provoking point about how the layers of irony help to protect artistic intentions but don't necessarily protect the listener when it's something like the ironic use of a homophobic slur in the lyrics of a song, which in context might make sense as part of the story that he's telling but it can kind of catch listeners off guard a bit. Yeah, so we'll be hearing um, your thoughts about it. I mean, it's a complex topic, but we really want to know what you think about them. Do you love them or do you hate them? Do you think it's like it can carry as a joke? Um, let us know on 0409 945 945 or through our pa uh, Facebook group. We'll be hearing your thoughts next Saturday, um, same time, 11.30, um, about artists like Alex Cameron, Kira J. Cullinan and Client Liaison and their portrayals of toxic masculinity. Stick around for our interview with Kaylee Wesson coming up next. Um, she'll be talking about a new short film called Beverly. This is P Twigs with YYYY, and you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio.
just heard Why, 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 Why by Sydney artist Pete Twiggs. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, and we're joined in the studio now by Kaylee Wesson and Roma Diarieta, um, associate producer and director of an upcoming short film called Beverly. Written by Rupert Taylor and starring Susie Porter, the film is about a 13-year-old boy named Sam who's an outcast in love with his best friend, Dexter's mother. Uh, Sam's crush creates tension in the friendship and uh, Sam is forced to make a choice between his best friend, Dexter, and Dexter's mother, Beverly. Welcome, guys. Hi. Tell us a bit about how this film came into fruition and the background behind the story that's being told. Sure. So um, my friend Rupert is a really amazing writer and he has this blog called Dietrich's I'm Rich. And every week he would post really weird, funny, Funny. um, short stories. And then when I read the Beverly short story, I asked him if we could develop it into a script, um, which we have. Uh, He wrote it and we kind of just collaborated a little bit on the story. Uh, Yeah, and it's actually based on his own life. Um, yeah, so he, the teenage boy is kind of based on him and, mm. yeah, it's cool. So if it's based on his life, does that mean that, like, within the process, are you guys, is he adding to it or kind of taking well, it away or is it quite a kind of, not static, but is it a fully formed project? I mean, well, he wrote the script, so mm. I guess it's based on his own actually, experiences. Um, only found out that it was his own experience when reading the script around a table. Mm. Um, mm. It came up as a surprise. How did you become involved in the project? Um, Me personally, um, I've worked with Roma on quite a few things in the past, Um, her as director, me as an actor, and um, we, um, she was doing a a reading of it one afternoon and Susie Porter couldn't make it and then she asked me to read and I just fell in love with the script as I heard it live. It's, it's so potent, it's really magic, cool script and that's just testament to Rupert being an amazing writer. And we're really lucky to. Yeah, hey, Rupert. Susie Porter can't turn up to things. It's so annoying. I know, it's so <laughs> annoying. So we're just going to fan out for a little bit, but how is it working with Susie Porter? <laughs> She's amazing. Um, I spoke to her on the phone for about half an hour the other day. She's just so generous with her time. Uh, she's awesome. And so, yeah. like, nurturing to new yeah. Australian talent. Yeah. Um, she really a couple of actor friends who've worked with her on other short films, and she's um, just always willing to step up and help young filmmakers on their journey as well as being obviously one of Australia's best actors yes in the industry <laughs> so we are really lucky um and Roma you're the director of the film yes um how did you get to be involved in this project well um yeah Rupert and I kind of developed the story together well he wrote it but I was on board sort of we were talking about it the whole time uh yeah and we have like a long-standing friendship so I was wanting to make a short film and Rupert had the perfect material. Cool. And have you been involved in similar projects before? Uh, yeah, I've I've made like a lot of music videos, content. I made a doco. Um, this is my first kind of narrative short film. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I've made like a lot of stuff in the past that's re- related to this in tone and stuff. Cool. And it sounds like it's a really nice team of people. I know that there's a huge pool to kind of LA, but it's nice that there are really nice actors that are still sticking around and like totally nurturing young talent as well I think it's like very admirable yeah we're going to take a, uh, a track from Alum is that how you say it Mara you're way better at pronunciation yeah it's Alum cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after this song we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the project 
cool. We've been talking about um, a new Australian short film called Beverly. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about some of the texts that are coming through from our segment, Thoughts That Count. Uh, so one anonymous texter said, how about all the black hip-hop music you constantly play calling bitches and hoes, um, or is that exempt from some reason? Surely there's a lot more to talk about in those lyrics than um, than in the bands that you mentioned, ostensibly talking about the toxic masculinity of um, Kieran J. Callanan, etc. So that's a very interesting point, um, which we'll talk about next week, so tune in for that as well. Um, another texter says, does it really matter if the way that a man finds feminism is through 
uh, the way that a man finds feminism. If a celebrity pop culture makes human rights digestible and acceptable, then as long as newborn <coughs> feminism is genuine, so be it. It's like they were talking about on Backchat before. Um, if Lemonade introduces people who otherwise wouldn't be exposed to ideas of intersectional feminism, then yay for expanding the minds and the ranks of you. That's really cool. I thought that was lovely. Um, we're coming back uh, to Beverly now. Um, can you talk a little bit more about um, when we can expect to see the film and how we can help out? Well, we are aiming to start filming in uh, January, February next year, if um, all goes according to plan with our crowdfunder campaign, which we will actually be launching later today. Yes. So um, our website is www.bevelythefilm.com. Yes, and from good. there, we've got a link to the Indiegogo campaign. Well, we will. It will be live yes. in a couple of hours. Yes. Um, and I guess you can donate from the um, website and yeah. as incentives and um, just because we've got a great support network of gals out there. Um, we've got some cool prizes along the way as um, we go along our campaign journey. We've got um, prizes from uh, the Queen of Flowers, Grand of Flora. Um, Parfem, the That's sexy amazing. girls at Parfem. <laughs> um, jewelry from Studio Elki. We've got Leaf Supply, um, uh, Resident Surrey Hills hair guru Nina um, from Extra Silky, who uh, is helping us out with um, a little All package. All our hair needs. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Brandenburg Orchestra are um, donating some, some tickets, some tickets to a show, and also we've got the Medusa Hotel, who've um, given us an amazing night in one of their. Luxury yes, suites. all up for grabs. Oh, they're very lucky. <laughs> that sounds incredible. That's yeah. like yeah. really legit yeah. prize. <laughs> yeah. like, and you can have this cap. <laughs> <laughs> Although there are t-shirts as well. There's <laughs> very cool t-shirts. They actually are very, very good. It's yeah. not like something you get at a tech conference or something. It's like uh, very stylish. Yeah, very cool. Limited edition. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Limited edition, um, which you can buy tonight at our fundraising event. Mm -hmm. So um, tonight at the Golden Age from 7pm we're doing a launch um, feel free to come we'd love as many people there as possible um, and we're doing a special cocktail <laughs> called Beverly's Kiss Cute. Um, which all proceeds from that will go to making um, this film and helping um, independent and female filmmakers other filmmakers out there to do to get involved and Amazing. do their own thing too guys thank you so much for coming in it's been a pleasure and I really want to um, donate just because I want some of those prizes <laughs> and also because the film sounds incredible <laughs> you've been listening to Agenda on FBI Radio um, we're going to leave you with a track um, by Simona Mari I just keep deferring to you I'm like <laughs> I don't know who's singing it and what the song is called this is Triumph Triumph <laughs>